Boag World is brought to you by headscape.co.uk and shopify.com, a designer-friendly e-commerce solution. For more information, go to shopify.com forward slash Boagworld. On this week's show, Paul interviews Mel Kirk about using social media for marketing. I explain why you need a thick skin as a web designer, and we give you the chance to interview Elliot J. Stocks. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Hi, Paul. How are you? Hello, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul and Marcus. Hello, and welcome to the first ever BoagWorld.com podcast. Boag World. Hello and welcome to the 162nd episode of BioAgWorld.com, the podcast for those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name's Paul Bang, And my name is Marcus Lillington. And we are here once more to entertain and inform. That's our <laughs> remit. Isn't that the BBC's remit, actually? It could, I expect theirs is a lot more kind of flowery than that. Probably. They, they'll have a mission statement. But they, they have to... Well, oh, let's get a mission statement. <laughs> our mission is to conquer Mars by 2012. Yes, maybe it is. Are you kicking the table again? No, I'm not. You always accuse me of this, but no. I'm just sitting here. Okay. There's no part of me is touching the table. There we might go. have to get a big fat pop shield for your microphone because you're p- I'm popping. popping. I'm a popping. Anyway, so we've got a good show today. I'm really excited about <laughs> you today. Sound, you sound surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's do a you good know, one. Do you know, I honestly am. <laughs> and that's because we had nothing to go in this show earlier the week, in the week. Yeah, well, that's often, you know, seat your pants stuff is good. Yeah, it was cut a bit fine. Normally we have a little backlog. I think it's it's because we were due an interview and we didn't have one. Because I had in my head, oh, we've got loads of interviews because of future web design. Because we're going to do loads of interviews of future web design. The that's guys, next week, isn't it? Or is it the week after? A uh, week after. I don't know without looking at Canada. Yeah. But it's not long it's anyway. Soon. But, of course, we haven't done it yet, so we don't have any of the interviews yet. So, no. fortunately, Mel Kirk stepped into the breach at the last minute, and we're talking about the dirty word. Yeah. The, the social media word that everybody is well, saying. How to monetize. How to, no, not <laughs> how to monetize. How to, how to use social media to market to your demographic group. Mm. Yuck. Anyway. Okay. So, um, <laughs> no, actually, I'm, I'm being very rude about it, but actually it's really important and it's really good stuff. And Mel does an excellent job talking about that in our interview later. Okay. But first of all, I want to talk about housekeeping. What? As in what? Being a housekeeper? A bit of dusting. Yeah. I'm thinking as web designers, we need to diversify. And uh, the web design sector is not enough. And this headscape, we off- need to offer a cleaning service. Okay. I was thinking more of a... Actually, of I did a... Um, dinner party, um, you know, oh, catering. Would catering. Be, would that be good? We can do catering. Yeah. I can't cook. Can you cook? I can cook. You yeah. can cook. Yeah. yeah. So I anyone did a, you know, uh, Anyone who's uh, as fat as me and likes food as much as me is going to be able to cook, aren't they? <laughs> um, yeah. I did a consultancy clinic for a cleaning company once. And they came back to oh, me yeah. recently after implementing the, um, some of the ideas we talked about. Blooming amazing site. Really good. Really good. Very good indeed. Anyway, but I can't even remember the URL, otherwise I'd pimp that's it. That's rubbish. I know. Yep. Anyway, that's not the kind of housekeeping I want to talk about. I want to talk what about, do you want to talk about? I want to talk about the Boagward Forum, because I made certain promises last week. You did say that, yeah, it was going to be great. It's going to be great and exciting. Well, um, 
you see, there's a fundamental flaw with our podcast. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed the well, fundamental flaw? We're on flaw? it. Well, that as well. Now, the, the the fundamental flaw we have with the podcast is that, although it's really great to have all these interviews with kind of web designers, and I really enjoy interviewing them, and I can ask them all the questions that I want to ask and yeah. find out all this kind of interesting stuff. The dear listener doesn't have that opportunity. It's not their questions they get to ask, and I'm never organized enough beforehand to say, hey, what should I ask so-and-so? Right. Um, so I thought, wouldn't it be great if the actual Boag World community got to do the interviews? And then I was thinking, that's really complicated. I don't know how we would do that. Mm. But I eventually came up with a solution, which is um, to actually use the forum to do it. Okay, so what we've got, we're going to kick off with Elliot J. Stocks. And if you don't know Elliot J. Stocks, he's, he used to be the senior designer at Carsonify before going freelance. And he's got um, some really good clients, including WordPress, Blue Flavor, and Free Agent Central. And he produces some truly stunning work and is, is considered one of the best web designers around. He's young and talented, and I hate him. Mm-hmm. Um, well, anyway, he's kindly agreed <laughs> to take questions from the Boagwell community over the coming week. So starting from today, which is the day of release, which is Wednesday, the 22nd of April, because we are actually time traveling now, it is tomorrow, because we're recording this on the Tuesday, and therefore I'm saying today... My head's gone all spinny now. I know, it's confusing. Sorry, don't do that again. So as from the Wednesday, we're going to... You can visit the Barrack World Forum, and there'll be a thread just about Elliot. And you can ask him whatever questions you want. This could all crash and burn. Nobody's going to go and Elliot's going to be sitting in there by himself. Yeah, Yeah, we're waiting for questions. Yeah, so um, it is really an amazing opportunity to get a real understanding of the working practices of another designer and to discuss the secrets of his success. Um, And it's a rare opportunity also to see somebody else's approach to the challenges of building effective websites because we all do things slightly differently so Mm. you can ask him whatever you want um and you can do that over the forum so in order to find the forum feed forum thread thread yes go to boagworld.com forward slash podcast forward slash 162 and there will be a big chunking link for you to click on a really big one a big one okay super large Oh damn! I've now got to go and start. You've got to change it. So anyway, that's uh, that's a bit of housekeeping I want to do. Okay, I've got two things. Oh, have you? Well, one is if you're in Cornwall on Friday, Yo. go and see Paul. Are you coming? No. If you're in Hampshire on Friday, you go were, and see me play. You, you told me that you wanted your gig to be cancelled so you could come to Cornwall. I want to go to the Eden Project, and I did quite like the idea. The I like the sound of it. Really no, good no. as well. It's yes, I hate good. you basically. <laughs> You're going to Cornwall on a sunny weekend. Yep. No, no, but we're going to play at the Swan in Arborfield, which is a, a very good venue on Friday night. So if you're if you're, I can't believe way, you're pimping your your. Um... We've had people come before. Have you really? Yeah. What very good listeners. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. So it's well it's well worth it. I really ought to come one day. I would like to hear you play. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> Do it. Well, the summer's coming up, and that's all the outdoor ones. Exactly. There, there that that appeals to me. You see. Yeah. So there we go. My presentation for bamboo juice is a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. Well, that's not... <laughs> I know I had to sell myself. Is it really funny? No, it's not that kind of joke. It's... Oh, anyway, people don't care. People no, don't they care. don't. Move if, on. If you move follow on. me on Twitter, you'll know all this. Right, let's move on to the news then, shall we? So I'm feeling slightly concerned for my sanity. I think... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I so? think I've experienced a mind meld... I think my uh, mind is shared with another individual. Oh, dear. 
guy called you know you know Jerry McGovern that we talk about quite yes, a lot on the yes. show, the usability guy. Mm-hmm. It's getting quite spooky that it's like every time I start talking about something on Twitter or or with the audio booze or even just stuff I talk about in the office that's not online at all, he then instantly writes about it. <laughs> and it's not that he's copying me because sometimes the things have come out at the same time or his has come out first and then I've become aware of it after I've started talking about it. And so it's really speaky, spooky. Speaky. Speaky. Quite I like think, speaky. Speaky is a nice word. I it means nothing, but... There's something weird going on. I think he's a Vulcan. <laughs> or you are or yeah. i am so anyway he's just written about something that i go on about endlessly which is website um which is a post that's entitled website management you um can't uh, automate everything amen to that so jeremy writes about something that i've mentioned so many times before and that's content management systems are not enough to solve your content problems and i'm just i'm just going to read a chunk of it right because it's just such a good post so he writes um, the School of Content Management brought us such developments as portals. Custom- yawn. <gasps> portals. I know. <sighs> Customization, personalization, and distributed publishing. These management-free uh, technology-driven solutions have led to public websites and intranets teeming with poor quality, badly organized, out-of-date content. Yeah, here, here. What do you get when you personalize crap content? You <laughs> get personalized crap content. Um, what do you get when you dis- uh, you distribute publishing rights to people who can't write, don't care about what they're writing, and think metadata is a country bordering <laughs> outer Mongolia? You will never, ever review or remove what they publish. You get a website you deserve. And he goes on to say, technology is important, even critical, but we still need quality people to manage websites if we want those websites to deliver value to the organization. It's a bit, it's funny it's a funny thing. I've been, as you know, doing lots of interviewing. Um stakeholder interviews, yes. Yeah. Um and people are very passionate about their the, the sort of graphical elements of their brand. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. And only a small minority seem to be passionate about the quality of their copy. I don't I just don't understand it. Mm. It's really weird. It is really weird. Anyway. Or maybe I was just asking the questions badly. Who knows? Perhaps. Yeah, let's blame you. It's all my fault. Everyone else in the world is great and actually cares deeply about content. It's just that you're a bad interviewer. Yeah. Yeah, let's go it. with that. Right, next up then. So while Jerry's ranting about content management, I want um, to rant about possibly the most terrible website I've ever seen ever, ever. Not that I'm exaggerating in any way for comment effect. Mm, yeah, I can, remember, I can remember the worst website ever. Oh, what's that? Uh, it's not there anymore. It was for a, a car parts firm. Oh. It was just appalling. Anyway, move on. Right. So this one is called... Uh, it's not the website that's bad. Although, actually, sorry, I'm off on Go a on. tangent again. Uh, Ian Lloyd posted uh, on Twitter a link to a hotel website. Right. And I, I, I might have to go and have a little ferret about on here and see if I can find it. Because yeah. it's, it's wonderful. Everyone should go and look at it. Okay. Every single link is a is a piece of uh, sort of word clip art that, that's animated. Oh, nice. And yeah. it all animates. Yeah. That's lovely. There should be more sites like that. I found one for a presentation that I was giving once um, about white... Oh, there was a, 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 two, I was talking about a bit about white space and not overwhelming the user with too much. And I put... It's just, it's just unbelievable. Mm. Unbelievable. There is just stuff 
everywhere. Yeah. And it scrolls horizontally and vertically. It's just awful. Anyway, so, but that's not what I'm talking about. I don't mean the design of this site. I'm talking about the intention behind the, or not the intention even, the, the kind of what this site does. Anyway, let me explain. It's called okay. IE6 Update. And it does have good intentions, <clears throat> but its approach is at best misguided. And I would say it's wor- at worst evil and manipulative. <laughs> evil. <laughs> evil. So the aim of this site um, is to encourage i6 users to update to a modern browser, which I think we can all agree is a good objective, isn't it? Pretty good, yeah. So IE6, you know, lacks the functionality of modern browsers and it's got a crap rendering engine that handles modern websites badly. Um, and what's more, it's a pain in the ass for developers as well to work with. But that said, the end does not always justify the means. I6 provides basically a, oh, sorry, I6 update provides a little JavaScript snippet that you can add to your website. And the code displays a notice to i6 users telling them that their browser's out of date and that they should upgrade. Okay, so so far, so good, mm. right? I mean, I think it's perfectly acceptable to inform a user, you know, user of i6 that they really ought to get a more modern browser. But the problem lies in the way they do this and the way it's displayed. So instead of displaying a nice styled message consistent with the rest of the site, they choose to disguise the message as an official IE notification bar. It's right? a proper, proper uh, sort of like virus style stuff. Yes. Yeah. I said it's, it's got the feel of malware or dodgy advertising. It's not. Pop-up windows. But it, it's yeah. kind of that same, that same kind of trickery of trying to trick the user into performing an update by Microsoft. Now, I, I posted an audio bill on this. And the, the people that organize or have created this thing um, actually posted an audio bill response. And uh, he, I mean, I, I've got to admire his honesty, but his basic argument was, well, Microsoft have, have bundled IE with the operating system and trick people into thinking it's the only browser available. So we're going to trick them back. <laughs> but this is just so wrong. It's that's so n- wrong. That's not really tricking people. I mean, no. people don't like the fact that, that, that Microsoft get this kind of monopoly on the browser because of what they do. And it is due to people's ignorance. Well, you know, a lot of people but don't recognize people don't... that it is a browser. At... And it's perfectly adequate for most people. Yeah. But it's not tricking them. No. And I, I think that's my, that's my problem here, is that the desire for, for, to, for the, the passionate and extreme attitude of web designers about you must, you know, getting rid of i6, i6 must die, mm. is nothing to do with users' needs, right? Most of the people using i6 are perfectly happy with their browser. Mm. They don't know any different and don't really care. It's that we want to be able to build cooler websites. Mm. And that's fair enough, and it's okay. But mm. this kind of, this is just wrong. I spent half my life explaining to clients why they should treat users with respect. And then somebody like this comes along and undermines <laughs> that totally by deceiving users. If you want to tell users to upgrade to, from IE6, then that's fine. But do it by explaining the benefits of upgrading and not tricking them into doing it. Is that, Marcus has Isn't just turned lovely? his laptop around and he's showing me this horrendous site. You need to Twitter that. That's just lovely. <laughs> I can't even begin to describe it. 
I'll find, I will. I'll, I will. I'll Twitter it. Marcus, I'll show you. You show me yours, so I'll show you mine okay. later. But Marcus 67, I will Twitter this. Yes. It's wonderful. So, um, next up, let's move on. I think that's that's perfectly... You know, I mean, I, I do think these guys had good intentions, but are just very misled. But anyway, let's move on. Craig yep. Buckler asked an interesting question over at SitePoint at the moment, which is, he asked, where have all the flexible designs gone? You know, the fluid designs, the scalable designs. Flexible designs are those that adapt to fill the whole browser window, no matter how it's resized. Mm. And as Craig points out, traditionally, these have been considered good practice um, because they work at any resolution and put the user in control of the sizing. However, he goes on to say that he's seen a decline in flexible sites recently and an increasing number of designers adopting the fixed width approach. Mm-hmm. And Craig cites a number of reasons that he think might be, um, you know, what might exist for this. One is that, you know, fixed width design um, shows, you know, enables you to show more consistency with design mock-ups. It's hard to show in a design mock-up a scalable design. Well, it's just consistent. It keeps the design consistent. consistent full, full stop. stop. Yeah. Um, which is his second point, that it provides pixel-perfect control, um, you know, mm, fixed width yeah. do rather compared to fluid. Um and that basically building fluid sites is an additional cost as well. And they're all valid mm. reasons, but they're nothing new. So why has there suddenly been a decline? You know, why are they dying out now? And I have to say, even we've stopped doing quite as many um, fluid designs. I mean, we still do do them, but we don't do as many of them. Yeah, and- I mean, it was when we kind of felt that we could dump 800, 600 um, resolution support. That was that was the big one, yeah. Um, because I mean, I, I don't know. I can't see ten twenty four seven six eight going. I don't know for a long time. No, it, I would it, agree. it's good. It's good for. Yeah, I, I think a that vision. resolution suits people's eyesight. Yeah. Whereas eight hundred six hundred was too small. Um, I mean, I think. I mean, the two reasons that I gave as to why we've we've started to do more fixed width design is that. Basically, one is that all modern browsers now support page zooming. So this removes the need for a site to, you know, accommodate increased text size, which is part of the reason for having scalability. Yeah. And if the user wants the site to fill the screen, then they can zoom in on it and everything gets proportionally bigger. Um, and that's, you know, it's more... Um, and actually, flexible sites can cause a problem, in especially in IE7, where... If you have a flexible site and you zoom that because you want the text size to be bigger, you get horizontal scrolling straight away. Yeah. Um, so there are some, there's actually some drawbacks now to flexible design once now that all the browsers support page zooming. My biggest, I think the biggest drawback is that more and more people are using uh, very high resolution screens. Yeah. Um, and they just want to be able to have a window stuck on. They, they don't tend to view things full screen anymore. Yeah. So the need for having something that expands and contracts is, is less, I think. The other reason that I, I put down was uh, graded browser support. Because we deliver different experiences to different browsers using different style sheets, it's no longer necessary to have a one design suits all mentality. Hmm. So where previously you had to consider, okay, so this design has to be flexible because it might be viewed on a PDA or it might be viewed on a nintendo wii or whatever mm. you know with browning grounded graded browser support that's less of an issue now because you just deliver a different style sheet um so uh, yeah i i think those are probably the main reasons i mean don't get me wrong there's still good reasons for using flexible design sometimes they do look great i have to yeah. say 
It can work um, really well. But the argument's no longer as convincing as once it was. And with the additional mm. co- cost of producing a flexible design, the return the on investment isn't as justifiable as perhaps once it was. Yeah. Anyway, that's that one. I just thought it's worth mentioning. It's an interesting trend, I think, that Craig's picked up there. Um, the next one that I wanted to mention um, is actually, or the final one um, that I want to mention, is a couple of posts on Smashing Magazine that provide some excellent advice on encouraging users to complete a call to action. And the first is imaginatively titled, Designs to Sell, Eight Useful Tips to Help Your Website Convert. And it, it, it includes tips like subliminal suggestions. Oh, um, flash, flick, quickly flashing images and things like that. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Brain, brain, brainwashing. Brainwashing, yes. brainwashing, yes. That's exactly <laughs> what the article's talking about. Okay. Um, preventing choice paralysis. Have you come across this one? Uh, There's a really interesting example that they do it in. A, they did a test in a supermarket once. I, I can't decide whether I know or not. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> they did a test in a supermarket once where they had 50 varieties of jam. I just made up that number, but it was a big number of, of different That's a jams. Lot of varieties. Of jam. Yeah, I think it was 20 something actually. Okay. Um, and uh, they they left those on the shelf for a while, and then they repeated the process with just six varieties of jam. And you sold more jam when there was less choice. Yeah. And it's basically because people were going up to this and being overwhelmed by the amount of cho- choice and not doing anything, choosing not yeah. to buy Run- jam. Running away scared of the jam. Well, just going, oh, I don't know, walking off. Yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? Yep. So um, there's this whole area of, of, of choice paralysis. Um, it talks about try- the idea of trying before you buy. And it talks about something called the Gutenberg rule. Have you come across this before? No. It's quite interesting. It, you you have, actually. You, you right. will probably know the principle, even if you didn't know the name. And the okay. principle is that we, look, uh, we read from top left to bottom right. Yes. Right? So that, you know, um, so that means that there are certain points in the page which have more power. If you, you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the terminal area, which is where your eye ends up, is the bottom right. And so that area is a really bad, valuable area for putting things like your call to action and stuff like that. Sure. While the top right and the bottom left, you know, are, are fallow areas that, mm. that aren't seen as much. So that's the, the Gutenberg rule. Um, and then there's this follow-up post where it talks about seven more useful tips to help um, sites convert. And that goes on to cover things like A-B testing, um, scannable feature lists, streamlining the sign-up process. I mean, both of the articles have more tips than I've covered here. And they all provide explanations of what those tips are and then examples for each. So um, I have to say, really good, really good posts. Um, okay. And... To be honest, I think, you know, should be required reading for pretty much, you know, all website owners and designers. I mean, the trouble is, is you kind of think, oh, calls to action and conversions, things like that for e-commerce sites. But it's not. Every site should have a call to action. Hmm. So really, this is required reading for everybody. So there you go. That's the news for today. Let's move on to our interview with Mel, um, who's talking about social media and marketing and good stuff like that. So I'm very excited today to have joining me Mel Kirk. Hello, Mel. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Very good. It's good to have you on the show. It feels like I've had so much to do with you, and yet we've never had you on the show, and that is a sin, and I am truly sorry. (laughs) 
no problem. We have known each other for years now, I think. So. We have, haven't we? Let's, let's maybe start with a, a little bit of an introduction for those people out there that maybe don't know you as well as myself. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your background um, um, and where you come from and what kind of stuff you're involved in, that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I moved into the web space about four or five years ago um, when I started work at Carsonified, uh, which was Carson Systems at the time, and that was arranging their events, future web apps, um, and future web design. Um, and from there, I heavily became involved in promoting the events and the apps that they were building, um, and then eventually moved on to Communities Manager um, before I finally left, uh, which was about 18 months ago. Um, and then after that, joined Ardman Animations, Wallace and Gromit. Ah, yes. <laughs> Everyone recognises it when you say Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> um, and my main project there was to work um, on a video platform called Formations, mm -hmm. uh, which was a joint venture with Channel 4 and was, in effect, like a YouTube for animation. Okay. Um, which was brand new when I joined. So my work was really um, around building a community around the new site there um, and getting that to launch, which we did. Mm -hmm. um, and then most recently, I joined whitelabeldating.com as okay. a marketing manager. Um, so I see some very interesting sites. <laughs> yes, that's an interesting uh, interesting career move. I didn't know about the last one. That's fascinating. Ooh, we'll yeah. have to come on to that one later. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, now I'm kind of responsible for researching our target audiences and their behaviours and reviewing user perspectives and brand building, all of that kind of stuff. So. Okay. Yeah, so is it fair to say you describe yourself as a marketeer? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so th that's good because we haven't had a marketeer on the show before. And and I, I've got to say, I think that there are a lot of web designers out there that are a little bit snobbish when it comes to marketing. Um, yeah. And so I think it's a good subject for us to cover on the show and, and talk about a little bit about online marketing um, and how to approach that kind of thing. So it's good to have you here. Um <laughs> Right, where to begin? Um, I, okay, let, let's start at the beginning. Let's say that um, somebody has got a really good um, product or company that they're very proud of, they're very excited about, um, but they, they need to, to generate some kind of awareness um, uh, you know, online of who they are and what they do. Um, where do they start? Where, where do they begin that process? I think for me, um, the main thing before you implement any kind of strategy is research. So knowing your market inside out, um, taking the time to work out how those people communicate and where those discussions are taking place. Mm -hmm. um, and then becoming a part of that conversation, but doing it genuinely with something to offer. So don't be afraid to say that you're bringing something new to the table um, and that you're obviously there to kind of promote um, what you have to offer, um, but in return, being able to go into forums, for example, and answer questions for people, um, to be seen to have an opinion on current topics, um, so that gradually you kind of build yourself up to be seen as an expert in your field, so that people have confidence in, in the service that you're offering or the product that you're trying to sell to them. Sure. So, so it's about... Um, establishing yourself as an expert more than it is necessarily pimping your product or service. 
Absolutely. And I think nowadays, especially, people are used to being marketed to. So they turn off as soon as you start to kind of heavily sell a product to them. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to really be going there with a genuine interest and wanting to help those people in some way, and they'll be receptive to that. Now, you talk there about, um, you know, researching and going and finding out where where people congregate um, and where they are online. How do you go about doing that process? You know, what's involved in researching? Um, So, first of all, you need to know kind of who you're targeting your product at. So, know your product inside out um, before you go out there to start to try and find where those people are. Mm -hmm. Um, Then, once you know the kind of topics that they're likely to be discussing or the types of people that you're after, um, looking for groups. So, user groups. Google's a fantastic resource that should be used fully. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I know it's so simple, but so many people don't spend enough time um fully researching on Google kind of the different sites that are available um, or the different social networks that they can join. So the first thing that I do, everybody I know kind of mentions it now, but having a look on Facebook, seeing what groups are out there, checking LinkedIn, seeing kind of what activity is taking place already, um, setting up Google Alerts, using TweetDeck with alerts on there so that you're currently being updated with the conversation as it's taking place. Um, and then you're kind of in a position to, to join that and to have something that you feel will be valuable mm. that you contribute to that so those alerts and things that you're setting up aren't necessarily alerts alerts directly related to your own brand or your own products but alerts to what things that your target audience might be interested in Yes, so um, for me, I would set up alerts to do, say, for example, the fact that I work in the dating industry now, then I would set up alerts that were dating-specific mm-hmm. so that I know current issues that are going on. Mm. Um, I, th- I then may set up alerts thinking, okay, well, our target audience is 18 to 35. Generally, what's of interest to these people? Um, and setting up alerts for, it can be completely abstract um, searches out there, for example, if you're targeting guys, I know it's stereotypical, I guess, but um, new beer brands, um, mm. new video games, things that you know that they're likely to have an interest in, that you can start to build some kind of commonality with them there. Okay. So you're not even, I mean, in that, in that situation, you're not necessarily, you know, if you're, I'm guessing with dating, you know, you, you go after guys quite heavily, they're a big audience to you. So you wouldn't necessarily just go after alerts for dating related stuff. It would be, it could be kind of alerts for anything that your target audience are interested in, just so you can work out where they are, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the dating industry as an example, then if we're targeting guys, we may know that guys in that age have certain interests, whether that's gaming or socialising with friends, that may not consider normally going on a dating site. But if you're already talking to them and raising your own brand awareness, then... Mm. When they get to the point they're considering a dating site, you've already built that brand with them and they recognize you as a name. So, Sure. I mean, I think the thing that, that often strikes me that I think both clients and web designers that maybe aren't involved in, in marketing as, as often, it's, they often underestimate how long all this stuff takes. You know, to, yeah. to build that relationship and that brand takes a considerable time. It doesn't kind of happen overnight and often people seem to expect instant results, which always surprises me, but there you go. Um, the, the other, I, t- I saw one interesting thing as a, as a use of 
um, Twitter that that kind of um, grabbed my attention. I wonder whether you did the same thing. Was that um, that he would look for, he would create alerts on questions relating to that particular subject area, whether it be dating or whether it be whatever. Yeah. Um, so when somebody asks a question, you you can go in then and respond. Is that the kind of thing you do as well? Absolutely. Um, so it's not about just kind of going in and leeching off the community. It's being able to go out there to give them the answers to their questions mm. so that you actually are providing a service and some value to them rather than just spamming them. Mm. And I think that really is the difference. It's mm. about wanting what's best for your users rather than just trying to sell your service. Yeah. I'm, gu- I'm guessing that people can kind of see through anything you know, that's more direct these days and, you know, are Absolutely. uncomfortable. Well, there's so much of it, unfortunately. Yeah, there is. yeah. Let's talk about techniques then. I mean, you've talked about, or techniques and tools. You've already talked about TweetDeck. You've talked about Twitter. Um, you know, you've mentioned alerts, Google alerts yeah. and that kind of thing. What other kind of tools do you use for reaching, you know, people, um, the, you know, your target audience? You know, how, what other tools are available to you? Um, so for us, a big thing is um, the blog, being able to have an open conversation um, with our community, whether that's with partners that are using us or the end members that are signing up to the sites. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, one of the biggest things with the blog was probably with formations when we didn't actually have a product, but we already had people waiting to use it by the time we launched it. Okay. Um, and that was purely by going out there saying, we're going out as a new venture. We totally want your opinion. We want to know what it is that you're looking for from our service. Um, And then when you finally go out there and you roll out your new service or your product and you've built in um, their feedback, then all of a sudden you give them a sense of ownership and they become your brand advocates. So I can't talk highly enough um, about the blogs, but that's assuming that you actually listen to the feedback. Having a blog and it just being one way will never work. Mm. I mean, it's interesting there that you talked about having an open conversation through your blogs um, yeah. and, uh, and and using the feedback that you receive. Uh, yeah. How do you do about how how do you go about that? How do you stimulate conversation? Because I mean, I've I've had clients that have set up a blog and they've written a load of articles and and never a comment will appear. You know, what kind of ways do you use for stimulating that that conversation? Okay, I know I probably shouldn't say this. <laughs> um, oh no, it's all going to go downhill. Um, but poking friends um, to try. Oh, no. no, I know it sounds bad. Poking friends to try and get them to spread the word for you. You never know what contacts those people will have. Mm-hmm. You will have built up a network of people yourself, um, and it's about not being afraid to ask those people for help. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody needs help at some point. So asking them to kind of spread a link if they can. Um, but then also when you're going out there and you're talking to people that you think are going to have some interest in your blog, don't be afraid to go into a conversation, add something and and drop your link there. Yeah. But that's not going in and purely just linking like link baiting at all um have something valuable to say but don't be afraid to obviously link back to your own site but what about if you you've kind of got people coming to your blog um which i've seen before and you know the the people are reading it but they're not engaging they're not posting comments they're not responding to so you've got an audience but they're a very passive audience is there there's stuff you can do to kind of encourage them to participate more 
Um, very much. I think the way that the blog is used can be critical on how many comments um, and how interactive that then becomes. I think Gary Vaynerchuk does a fantastic job um, on his blog where at the end of each video he tells you to comment. Um, it's very, very easy to see as soon as you hit his page what you need to do to to leave a comment or to contact him on Twitter. The call to action there is very, very clear. Mm. Um, and similarly, the videos that I do at Random Mel, the l first and last thing I do is to put the URL at the start and end of the video. Um, and then if I want someone someone's comments on something specifically then I make sure that I tell them what to do you can't just assume that your users are going to know mm. or want comments so you have to really prompt that from them yeah I mean I've seen that a lot on blog posts where that the blog post has been written as this diatribe of you know I'm the expert I know what I'm yeah. talking about here's the stuff and you know you've got nowhere to go as far as responding to it it's almost like the person doesn't want a response they're certainly not asking for feedback or they're not asking for for you know, asking any kind of question you can respond to Absolutely. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how senior you may be within your industry or how much you know. There's always something that you can be learning from these people. Um, and being able to get feedback from those, that's information and data that these huge organizations that aren't up to speed with social media yet um, would pay thousands of pounds for. Mm. Um, so it's a real advantage if you use it properly. Mm. I mean, there's a, a kind of follow-on issue here that, you know, uh, you, you've kind of built some excitement around, you know, whatever your product or service is. Um, you may be of even fortunate enough to be in the position that you've, or not fortunate enough, you may have done enough work to get in the position that you're currently in of, of actually having a, a group of passionate people there waiting for your product to launch. Yeah. And, and creating that initial buzz is easy or easier, but it's maintaining that buzz over a long period of time and uh, maintaining that engagement with users. So I'm yeah. interested in, in how you go about, you know, keeping that, that uh, relationship going over the longer term. What kind of things do you do there? Um, so one of the main things here, I think, is having content available to them, having something new so that they have an incentive to come back. Mm. Um, you can't just expect to launch and for that kind of high wave to be maintained. Um, but I also think that it's worthwhile bearing in mind that you should be there just to kind of facilitate the conversation between them. If it's... Um, if it's some kind of website that you have, for example, for people to communicate with one another, it's not necessarily for them to communicate with you, but you're helping them um, to achieve whatever it is that they want to get out of your service. Yeah. Um, so continually trying to update your service to make it the best that it can possibly be and to actually have a look back and not be afraid to change it. Um, if you can see that users are using the service in a slightly different way than you thought they were going to, not being afraid to go, okay, well, it's not quite what we had planned, but let's go along that route, just as Flickr was born, I guess. Yeah. So being able to change that and giving the users a sense of ownership, I can't kind of stress how important that is um, because they become your advocates. And no matter how well you communicate with these people, you're always going to be the person that is kind of promoting a product or a service, whereas your users are doing it because they genuinely believe in you. There's a kind of interesting uh, potential problem in that, that um, 
if you know if you as a marketing person are the people that you know, is the person that's engaging with the community and if the community is feeding back ideas about the product and service and you're wanting to take those on board there's got to be a very good relationship between marketing and the people actually developing the the product or service because they they've yeah. you know how has that worked in the past you know have you found that that people have been very receptive to that um so we've had something very very similar here um at white label where we are now positioned with the development team um because oh. as as far as I see it, marketing and development very much fit as one. Mm -hmm. um, and marketing now own all of the projects that we're doing so that we were able to take our users' needs to drive that forward and to prioritize that. Um, development is incredibly important, but it really does have to be the users' needs that kind of drive forward what's most important to them. Um, and so we have regular updates with the development teams. Um, but like I say, we very much take responsibility for new features and functionality, which is added there. That's very interesting. There'd be a lot of people that's listening to this podcast that are probably deeply uncomfortable with the idea yeah. of new features being driven out of marketing. Yeah. Uh, why, why do you think it should be marketing where that's based rather than, you know, uh, uh, the development team? I say marketing um, simply because in terms of my role, I very much kind of look at the usability of the site. Okay. Um, so trying to increase user experience. So maybe that's kind of somewhere in between, I guess, mm. um, rather than traditional marketing. Um, but if I can see conversations that are taking place and I can see how users are actually kind of functioning on the site and how we might want to implement changes, then it's kind of easier for me to get buy-in from the development team when I can go to them with hard evidence mm. as to what it is our users actually want. I mean, that's quite a quantum shift in the way that, that marketing operates. I mean, do you get a sense that that marketing, you know, as a as a discipline is changing quite radically? And if so, kind of in what kind of ways? Absolutely. Um, when I guess when you introduced me as a marketeer, I cringed slightly <laughs> <laughs> um, because I, I did marketing years back when I worked in a bank and things were very, very different back then. Um, but I would say that marketing now has very much come along the lines that it is grassroots and that's what I feel comfortable with. It's, it's not necessarily acting as a marketing function, but it's about being um, a user advocate. Um, mm. and working out what can we possibly do to make their lives as easy as possible and to delight them. So not just give them the service that they're expecting, but that little bit extra as well. And I think that's where marketing comes in now, because then as soon as they're happy, there are so many tools out there for those, for those people to kind of vocalize whether they're happy with the service or not. They do the rest of the work for you. Mm. So you, you find that largely it's about creating... Uh, a, you know, a passionate, enthusiastic community that then does kind of peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, word-of-mouth marketing rather than sinking large amounts of money into banner advertising or whatever else. Totally, and what you find with that is that it's sustainable, whereas if you pay for PPC and as soon as you stop that, you'll tend to find that traffic to the site will stop as well, um, whereas if you've got an active community out there that are truly engaged with what you have to offer, then that's going to be sustainable in the long run. Of mm. course, mm. the downside of that is that 
you're not in control of the message in the same way as you would be with traditional marketing and that you are very dependent on the goodwill of your community for that to succeed. So the question then arises, what do you do when things go tits up? What do you do when um, things go wrong and there's negative publicity and people are bitching and moaning online? How do you manage that kind of situation? Um, I think from my point of view, it would be to not be scared to hold your hands up and to admit when you've made a mistake. Um, if you can be totally transparent in what you're doing and and you can explain why something hasn't gone quite right, um, if you look at kind of Facebook and how they took a step back not that long ago, um, I think that was quite a brave move for them. But then you become an approachable company that people realize it's humans behind the brand. Um, and as soon as you have that, they become a lot more forgiving. Um, obviously, there are going to be some people out there that bitch about you no matter what, and unfortunately, they are going to exist. But all that you can do is kind of educate them as well as you can so that they're portraying the right message for you. And then if it is a case that you've done something that your community don't agree with, holding your hands up and not being afraid to change that to their demand. I mean, it's interesting there that you talk about exposing the humans behind the brand. I yeah. mean, that that increasingly seems to be the philosophy of a lot of companies, you know, to, to encourage their employees to blog and to Twitter and to or do all these kinds of things. But I think in a lot of other companies, there's quite a high level of fear, again, about losing control of the message and that traditionally that's something that, you know, marketing want to do. And the idea of opening it up to everybody within the company seems quite horrendous. I mean, what? Yeah. how would you reassure people that, are, uh, you know, are having those kinds of doubts? Um, I think if there's a small scale project that you can start that on to prove that the fear is often a lot worse than the actual reality behind it, then that's always a good way to begin. Mm. Um, I would say that enabling your staff to have a voice is always a great way if they're able to blog or to tweet. Um, that's not to say that you don't kind of go out there and say, okay, if you're going to be associated with the company, you need to be careful for their own rights as well as ours. Mm. Um, you still have to be sensible with what you're doing out there. But at the end of the day, people buy from people. They don't buy from big companies. Um, and the most successful companies out there are the ones where their, their employees truly believe in their products and they kind of do a lot of the work for you rather than just the f um, marketing function. Mm. Mm. Very interesting. I mean, to some degree, mine these days, you know, increasingly all of us online are, are having to be marketeers to some extent. We're all managing our own personal brands, um, yeah. you know, and our own personal identities and, you know, who we are and how we're perceived online. Uh, you know, I'm quite interested in your perspective of that because I know that you have been amazingly honest and open online um, and that that's come back to bite you on some, you know, in some occasions. So what kind of hints and tips would would you give to people that, that uh, you know, are kind of trying to manage their online identity? I hate this. I hate that phrase. That sounds awful. But you know <laughs> what I mean. You know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so... I think my biggest word of advice would be to be yourself. Um, I think at the end of the day, if, if you can go to bed at night and you can sleep knowing that you've been true to yourself um, and you haven't gone out there and tried to scam anyone or anything like that, um, then I think that's the biggest hurdle. 
there there will always be some people that will question or criticize whatever moves you make um but that's a sign that they're actually paying attention so although that may not be positive it's kind of the old pr way i guess that any publicity is better than no publicity mm. um and i guess for me work with companies that fit your ethos um so i've I've been approached by companies before where I've really felt kind of uncomfortable around the product that they're offering. I don't feel that I could sell it wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. um, I know that that will reflect personally on me. And so I will only associate myself with products and services that I truly believe in. And mm. I think that then kind of maintains, I don't know, people's perspective of you, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, being, being honest, um, is the main thing I think. How, what about in regards to how open you are? I mean, we've talked a lot about open and transparency. Is yeah. there a line? Do you think? Is there a point where you should just shut your mouth and 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 not speak, so to speak? Um, I think that there is, um, and I think that that varies for each individual, um, and it really depends on how comfortable you feel online. Mm. Um, some people are quite happy putting everything out there, and so and that's absolutely fine for them. That works. I'm probably um, among one of those exhibitionists, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there are other people where you know they don't want everybody to see what's going on on Facebook. Um, they don't want everyone to know what's going on in their personal lives, mm -hmm. and and that's absolutely fine too. So you have to do whatever fits with you best. I mean, mm. for me personally, I'm very very out there in the space um and that's just because that's the way that i choose to lead my life um that said you generally apart from me on twitter saying that boys smell <laughs> won't find talking about relationships or stuff that's hugely personal to me it will it will be about my lifestyle it will be about my work but it won't be like incredibly personal stuff yeah. that's my line so Hmm. It's interesting, isn't line? it? I don't know what my line is. I, I knew you were <laughs> going to say that. That's just because I've just posted on Twitter that I'm I'm chronically depressed and don't want to work anymore. So you're picking oh. me up on that. <laughs> no, I, I for I think for me, um, I, I tend to say everything slightly tongue in cheek. Um, yeah. But then there will always be a kind of element of truth in it. So I perhaps am more personal than I think I am online. Um, but I just dress it up in humor to kind of cover it up. So, yeah. um, I mean, that comment, for example, yeah, I'm a bit pissed off today and not really in the mood for working, but, uh, you know, and so I'll exaggerate it and I'll make a joke out of it and, <laughs> and make a bit of fun out of it. Sometimes that can be really dangerous. Humor does not translate, translate very well, especially into text format. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? it? It's kind of, you have to feel it out and work it out for yourselves, I guess. Anyway, this yes. is supposed to be me interviewing you. You're not going to ask questions <laughs> I'm sorry. to me. You're breaking the rules, Mel. <laughs> okay, one last question to wrap up with. Yeah. Which is that, let's face it, social media has become a little bit of a dirty word at the moment. Um, I, I know, it's, it's horrible, horrible, horrible. And there's so many people out there that are um kind of piggybacking off of the back of it and and i'm fed up if i if i have one more person decide to follow me on twitter that's got the word <laughs> social media in their title i'm going to scream but but underlying all of that actually there is something of value there and it's this whole 
you know what we've been talking about really this whole kind of community driven aspect to marketing and and to our product development and all of that kind of good stuff but here's your chance to rant mel give us some of the things that really annoy you about social media some myths maybe that surround social media that need dispelling oh my goodness and this is to wrap up <laughs> yeah something like light and breezy to end with <laughs> okay <laughs> um so for me i think um everybody saying that social media is really really easy um would be my biggest thing it's it's easy enough to do if you know what you're doing, but not everyone can do it. Mm. Um, some people know how to communicate um, with communities. Other people don't. Um, and it's kind of about knowing your strengths. So, for example, some people may be hugely technical, um, but when it comes to knowing how to kind of market themselves, they aren't always that forthcoming. Mm. Um, and so it really does depend on the person that you've got doing your social media for you, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, my next big one would be that giving away ideas and content shouldn't be free, that you should be charging for that in some way. Mm. I know there are plenty of people out there that say that. But if you're going to be seen as an expert, you have to prove yourself. You can't walk into a space and kind of stamp your feet and say, okay, look, pay me as a social media expert because I know so much. You know, you have to provide something to people, show that you know what you're doing and be prepared to do a lot of work for free in the meanwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, and then gradually, you know, those paid projects will come along. Um, next one will probably be viral campaigns. Uh, easy. They're very hit and miss. <laughs> They're yeah. incredible. Everyone now thinks they can upload a video to YouTube and they'll hit the big time. And it's really not the case. It really does depend on the audience and how they react to each piece that's put out there. Um, And then I guess my last one, and it's my last round, I promise, would be that there's no way of kind of, um, no way of tracking the effectiveness of a social media campaign. Um, And I just don't believe that at all. I think no matter what you're working on, you should always set yourself targets. Now, whether that's the number of comments that you want to appear on a blog post or a number of members that you want to sign up, search engine optimization, there are so many things that you can track, but everyone still believes it's slightly fluffy Mm. and a nice to have. Um, And I couldn't disagree with that more. So I like that one. That's a really good one. I'm totally, yeah, I totally support you in that, that, that I think making things measurable, even if you don't meet those targets, I think having targets and aiming towards them is vitally important. Absolutely. And anybody who comes in and says they can do social media for you um, without those, I wouldn't trust in a million years. So. <laughs> Excellent, Mel. That, that was really interesting. It's really good for us to kind of branch out and, and look at these things. You know, the web is becoming so much more than just putting up websites and, and we need to be talking about this kind of stuff more. So it's great to have you on the show. Thank you for your time. Thank and you um, we'll have you back again soon, no doubt. Goodbye. Hey. So, um, yeah, I thought that interview with Mel was actually very interesting. We haven't really talked about social media or marketing much on the on the show before. But and this is kind of something that we need to tackle as web designers. You know, are we where does our job start and end? You know, are we should we be advising our clients about their web strategies as a whole, which would encompass the kinds of things that that Mel's just talked about. 
or you know are we just building websites i mean at headscape we give them the whole we you know help them with the whole strategy and also i think this is something you know a lot of website owners listen to this show as well and you know too often that website owners obsess about the website when there's this whole bigger way of communicating with users out there so i think we'll be doing a little bit more on on marketing and and uh social media and stuff like that which i hope people enjoy write in actually yes, let me tell know us what you think yeah do that email us at um paul at boagworld.com anyway listener feedback so this week we're gonna we've got a question that marcus has made up yep. fairly obviously mm-hmm. um, from bill from Bill, your yes. your stock, I'm making people up. Thing. Yeah. So this is a combination, isn't it, of lots of different things that people have said to us over the years. Exactly. It's all all bundled together. So it's kind we, of we did have we, and we did have a, an actual question from someone. It was either last week or the week before about being really. It was like, oh, my life's going to end. I can't get a job. And yeah. Kind of so that kind of spurred me in this it's direction in this way. So what you you say? Do you want me to read the question? Yeah, yeah. You can the be made Bill. up question. I'm Bill. Mm-hmm. Hello, Bill. Currently, my working life seems to be one. Lo- Actually, this this is me. <laughs> Currently, my life seems to be one long string of criticism and rejection. I tried to get involved in debate as guys like you recommend I should, but my real world takes on things. Uh, takes things down. Uh, uh, take on things. My real world take on things usually gets shot down. Thank you for reading. That's okay. I turned into Bill there. Did you see? Yeah, I was clever that. Trying to win work is even worse. I try to make sure that I don't give too much away to potential clients up front, and I try to discuss sensible budgets with them, but their expectation is that I will redesign their homepage for nothing to see if I'm good enough, um, and any budget request is met with, you tell me. Help me, Marcus. Help me in my difficult life. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Uh, I'll see what I can do. Well, I've entitled this particular little post... The need for having a thick skin. Why didn't we just call this a feature rather than pretending it's more? It's more, well, because it's good fun. Um, okay. inventing Be- questions and making people up. Yeah, we don't normally do that, but no, though well, it's once usually or twice with, we once have. or twice I have yes, because uh, I go into the forum trying to find something that I can respond to and think nope, nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> anyway, even though Paul and I pretend to be big and tough, nothing can touch us types. Uh, the truth is rather different. My constant need for love and affection and <laughs> adoration and Paul's obvious megalomania this, just, mean that we both take criticism very hard. This is true. Even, I am joking, of course, but there is this there truth is there. There is a grain of truth, yeah. Yeah, we both... Not the megalomania thing. Nobody but like, I do take criticism yeah. hard. And nobody, like, obviously, of course, nobody wants to be criticised or rejected in any way, um, but, you know, there, there are ways to soften the blow. And there's always this thing, isn't there, that, like... You know, because I get emails from people saying, oh, I love the podcast. Re- you know, really mm. appreciate what you're doing. It, basically, if I... And then every now and again, I'll get someone go, you're crap, you rubbish, mm. you... And it takes 10 positive ones <laughs> to wipe out that one negative one. It's really mm. funny. You dwell on the negative. It's very easy to do that, isn't it? But what you've got to learn is that if you decide to lay your soul bare in a blog or in a podcast like this or give advice to anyone really that other people can read and comment on then chances are someone's going to disagree with you yeah uh, and quite often they'll be rude and <laughs> destructive in their criticism uh obviously po- positive what you mean like i was about ie6 update a minute ago uh, 
you weren't that constructive. Well, no, but you did provide an alternative. Yes. This is what I think it should be. Positive criticism is you've got to view that as something that's a good thing, and okay. you should. It's part of a debate, and you should get involved in it. Yeah. But obviously, and this right, this is the big sentence for you, Paul. Be prepared to accept that sometimes you might actually just be wrong. I'm I'm listening to what you're saying. It's not but making I'm not any sense. Understanding is it? the words. Okay, fair enough. All right, <laughs> we'll move on from that one. Uh, to those people who are rude and destructive and uh, seeing you as a punch bag, just ignore them. That's <laughs> so easy said. Turn the other cheek. I In, think is the phrase. Uh, yes, because getting into any kind of argument, and this is not so much for me, but probably once or twice I have bitten back. And you'll regret it. You'll end up looking and feeling worse. From this, this is good in a lot of levels. Actually, mm. it's good from obviously in a sales situation. The worst thing you can do in a pitch is get defensive. Yeah. Um, but it also, as a website owner, if you're running a community and you know having community interaction, you've got to take criticism on the chin. You know, it's mm. really important because otherwise you'll get the 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 you know shackles up of your community and it, it becomes a thus and us and them scenario which is very troublesome and if you do take the the higher ground if you like then chances are that people who are your friends will fight on your behalf mm. uh, and so that's cool but uh, bottom line first point is accept that you can't please all the people all the time yes <sighs> right moving on but all that said you should still get involved in the debate don't be scared of rejection and criticism post questions and views and comments as much as you can main reason for doing this is that you'll get yourself known mm. uh, and even if that's as the real world guy that you know i've used in my example question earlier then so be it it's mm. it's worth it. it just getting yourself known is a good thing unless you're a complete idiot i suppose i mean and it and there's a real value in having an opinion as well there's a lot of people um who just agree with everybody else within yeah. the web design community in particular. I'll give you an instant of this, right? And this is no criticism to the people that, that actually did agree with me, but I posted an audio bill on this IE six update thing mm-hmm. where I ranted at it. And there was a lot of people who said, yes, Paul, I totally agree. Right. I can't remember any of their names. Sorry guys. But then one guy came along mm. called Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Don't know. Uh, J-A-P-H, Jaff. Jaff, I would say. Jaff. And he responded and totally disagreed with me, right? Mm. We should should manipulate users. He was wrong, obviously. (laughs) Obviously. Obviously. (laughs) But I admire him for, you know, standing up and saying what he really thought rather than being a yes person. And actually... In a minute, we're going to hear from him again because he posted on something else that, that is worth worth mentioning where he does agree with me. Obviously, I'm mm. not going to play on the show the one where he disagrees. Of course not. But the one where he agrees, not. I'm going to play. <laughs> but of course, <laughs> yes, stop talking now. Sorry. Um, getting involved in discussion is a very, it's a, an effective way of promoting yourself and your business. It shows that you're keen and hopefully that you know what you're talking about. Um, and this should start to attract better caliber of client, etc., etc. Sure. So let's move on to talking about clients and winning work. So I've, I've written here that you need to trust your gut Sounds um, <laughs> when dealing messy. with potential clients. Um, I, I don't know, just I think we've all got a bit of an idea when someone's trying to sort of pull the wallet over your eyes, and that's what yeah. I mean here. Quite often people are genuine when they say they've got no idea of their budget, and it doesn't automatically mean that they're a waste of time, just that they need educating in 
what you're going to do. And yeah. a lot of particularly I think smaller clients if you're if you're dealing in in sort of one man type businesses or one or two two people type businesses then they don't know the ins and outs of um, developing sure. websites and therefore you need to explain um why why something is going to cost what it's going to cost and if, yeah. and and if anyone's genuine then they'll accept what you're saying they'll may, they may dis- not decide to to choose to work with you but at least you've you've helped them out from that point of view but if someone is trying to manipulate you into doing work for free and that doesn't necessarily mean doing unpaid mock-ups it can mean scoping stuff yeah um, we've fallen into that trap what we don't anymore but we have in the past well there's always the great one isn't there that yeah, yeah. If you can do this first project for uh, mm. cheap or free, then I've got all of this other stuff lined up. I still get it now. People still say do it you to really? me now. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, <laughs> go away. Well, not go away. Look, you know, you don't. And I, my usual response is kind of a, a veiled. Well, you don't do that with, you know, yeah. with your services, do you? No. no. Well, then, why should we? Kind of yeah. Um, but basically, if someone is trying to get you to do stuff for free and it's fairly obvious that's what's happening walk away yeah you know you'll regret it if you don't walk away it's really hard you can say that time and time again but it's mm. really hard to walk away from projects. yeah that's why i've written it twice here walk away and i've said it three times now <laughs> well yeah i mean our, our, our dear colleague chris finds it hard to walk away from, yeah. from potential um leads yeah it's, I can understand it's a really hard thing to do because you think well it might be all right yeah, but you've got to weigh things things up and think. Well, if you're being taken for a ride, go away. Anyway, talk money is my next point. Yeah, um, I've said this before, so apologies for the repetition, but I think it's important. You need to ask people up front what their budget is. You need um, explain that you need to know it to respond with an appropriate solution. A lot yeah. of people think that you're a oh, what? So you're you're going to fit to what I say. Well, yes. Yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're not going to up it. We're not going to create a, a, an inflated price yeah. to fit with your budget. We're just going to fit what the, the work we can do to give you the best solution Within for what your budget is. Um, I've always used the example of, of usability testing um, of something that you should include. Yeah. But you're not going to create something that's useless if you don't. Yeah. You know, you'll just find out through comments, basically, once yeah. the site's gone live. But if you don't get anywhere by asking, and as I've mentioned previously, they really may not have a clue, mm-hmm. uh, then create, what I do is create a two or three paragraph email with associated tasks. It's like a mini proposal. Sure. Like, we could do this for you based on what I think you want. Yeah. And it will cost this much based on what I've just said. Yeah. Um, and this lot. The other, sorry to interrupt you, the other sorry? thing that you do even before that, because I've heard you do it on the phone before, is you'll say, well, we've done something like that before. It cost about 30K mm. or 20K or whatever. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's, it's, yeah. Just then it weeds out the people where it's miles out, you know, the people that think they're going to get it for 500 quid or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it depends. Obviously, I'm referring to most of the most of the requests we get are via email. So yeah. I'm thinking I'm going to respond via email. Right. Some people just phone me up. And yeah. I'll do the same thing over the phone. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, that's, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's... It, you'll probably spend a little bit more time in an email response, but not much. The point here is do it quickly. Yeah. And you are guessing a bit, you're kind of maybe risking it a bit that you're going to give someone a price that's actually completely wrong. Yeah. Uh, And then you've got to go through the sort of the difficulty of explaining it later. But it's well worth it because it'll either stimulate discussion and get things going. Yeah. Or you'll be dismissed out of hand. Mm -hmm. Both of these things are good. Yes. And that's what people don't realise is that being dismissed is good. Of course it is. Because... 
you want to be dismissed early. The mm. worst place is to get down to the final two oh, after going through that. a proposal, yeah. pitch, all of that, and then they reject you on the basis of price. Yeah. Uh, you know, that could have been resolved straight up front. Which is why, yeah, I'm repeating myself. Anyway. Yeah. I'm um, repeating you as well. Yeah, and now to... you're repeating me as well. <laughs> okay. It's great, isn't it? Um, stick to your guns. We decided quite a while back, and for very good reason, that we would not do any unpaid mock-up design work. Yes. And we've talked about this yeah, many, many times about why. Uh, and in some cases, this has been seen as a positive thing. Yeah, we've actually won work through being the ones that say no, if you yeah. like. Um, but with other potential uh, clients' projects, I'm sure it's adversely affected our chances of winning the work. Um, Have but, you ever had anyone dismiss us outright and said, "Well, if you're not doing it, go away"? Yes, and we've done and we've done the mock-up work. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so to say that we never do it and stick to your guns is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, maybe maybe you don't every yeah. time. So occasionally, what we did, what we've done recently is we created some mock-up mood boards, yes. which I think worked really well. That was a good halfway house compromise. It wasn't it? a kind of, here's your new homepage, it was a, here's some ideas. Yeah. Which was kind of cool. Um, we won that job. We did win that job. But I suppose what I'm saying is chopping and changing here pre- presents a negative image. And I suppose if you, particularly in, in similar sect, if you work in a sector charity sector or the he sector where you did it for one person and not for another that's not going to do you any good yeah um but if you do decide to present initial mock-up ideas don't be tempted into iterating them further yes oh yes (laughs) any client who's asking for that is basically after free work okay my final point stay calm don't panic and stuff like that sometimes the people we have to deal with are mouth open wide unbelievable yeah. You know, like I can't believe what you're saying. The arrogance, the rudeness, the the pickiness and narrow-mindedness, etc., etc., etc. It's just unbelievable. Sometimes we're also manipulated into doing work for free. Yeah. Sometimes we're strung along through a pitch process when we have no chance of winning it. Oh, yeah. Uh, this can be a little irksome mm-hmm. at times. Uh, and we may feel that an adversarial approach is the right one. It isn't. I've already said this. But because it, it can only damage your reputation. It sure. make you feel bad. So uh, even if you don't see eye to eye with someone, it doesn't mean that they will never hire or recommend you to someone else. So be calm and don't don't go back to them saying, you know, banging the table and, you know, why didn't you select me? Or, yeah. you know, why are you being a horrible client? Because chances are it will mm-hmm. come back and bite you. So in essence, work on your patience. Cherish your good clients and keep your skin thick. Yeah, good advice. Like that. Now for some real listener contribution. <laughs> Rather than Marcus's made-up stuff. So I mentioned earlier, um, Jaff Denyan. Yes. He, he um, posted an audio boo on last week's discussion about the future of Internet Explorer. And he makes some really good points. and some stuff in here that I hadn't thought about. Um, so take a listen to this. Hi. So uh, there's been a lot of talk lately about the IE8 being moved to an, an important update to hopefully to prompt people to upgrade from IE7 to or whatever previous version to IE8. Um, so I just wanted to put in my two cents and specifically I guess this is a response to Paul Boag's recent audio boo about this topic. Um, as I agree with Paul that Basically, IE8 being an important update won't kill IE6, uh, mostly due to corporations. 
Uh, as IE seven was made a high security update quite some time ago, and a lot of uh, users upgraded before then and since then from IE six to seven. I think those users will uh, proceed as they have been and upgrade to IE eight, like the good little lemmings that they are. Um, and the it'll be the corporates who are, are stuck back on IE six. Um, mostly, I think this is to do with maintenance periods and, and things like that, um, corp- and uh, the various support deals that corporations have with Microsoft. Um, but there's some good news there as well, in as much as Windows XP's lifespan is, is being reduced, Microsoft's going um, basically re- reducing support on that to be the, the extended support instead of their, their mainline support. Uh, which basically means you only get security fixes and that's all. Uh, so for corporations, even though they've paid up and so they get a little bit longer than everybody else, it's kind of uh, a bit of a kick in the pants for them and telling them they need to move into high gear and start uh, upgrading their standard operating environment so they include the latest operating system, which will include, hopefully, the latest browser, um, IE7 at least, if not IE8. And I think that's that's probably going to start happening uh, early to mid next year. So it's it's not too far off before we would have, you know, hopefully c- complete death of IE6. Well, that's my two cents. So, yeah, I think I like this. I like this um, uh, submitting, not just, we get a lot of people asking us questions, but I like it when people express opinions as well. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> There's no question in there. Just like so, I don't need to do anything now. I just play it, and we're done. No, but it's good, isn't it? Because yeah. it, you know, yes, we are experts in web design. Yes, we've been doing this for for a long time. But that doesn't mean that nobody else has valid opinions. Do you know what I mean? I, I love it when the community kind of gets involved and starts sharing stuff. That's why I love the forum so much. So, if you happen to have an iPhone then why not submit your own audio boo? Mm. Um, I, I, you know, I think it's a good thing to be doing anyway. It's a good bit of publicity for you, and it's a good way of communicating. You can go to audioboo.fm for more information. If you do record something and you think I might be interested in it for whatever reason, um, can you tag it with for Boag World? For, for as in F-O-R space Boag World. Um, and then that way I, I'll pick it up and I'll, I'll know about it and I'll include it in the show. Um, if you've got no iPhone, then no problem. You can also submit comments by Skyping um, to Boag World Show or you can just email me an MP3 file if you want. That's equally good as well. So hopefully we'll have a few more of those kind of things. Not just questions, comments, reviews, hints, tips. Jokes anything. Even. Jokes, yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, tell us some jokes so we don't have to have Marcus's. And that would be somebody so good, with good delivery. Yes. That would be excellent. Talking of Marcus's jokes, do you have one to end the show with? Yes, I do. And it's got the, the, the initial line is one that's going to worry you. I just know it. Okay. Three Italian nuns died and go to, and go to heaven. Okay. So there. At the pearly gates, they are met by St. Peter. He says, Sisters, you all led such exemplary lives that the Lord is granting you six months to go back to earth and be anyone you wish to be. The first nun says, I want to be Sophia Loren. And poof, she's gone. The second says, I want to be Madonna. And poof, she's gone. Right. The third says, I want to be Sara Pippolini. Who? <laughs> St. Peter looks perplexed. Who? He asks. Sara Pippolini, replied the nun. St. Peter shakes his head and says, I'm sorry, that name just doesn't ring a bell. 
The nun then takes the newspaper out of her habit and hands it to St. Peter. St. Peter reads the paper and starts laughing. He hands it back to her and says, No, sister, the paper says it was the Sahara pipeline that was laid by 1,400 men in six months. (laughs) (laughs) That's terrible. We should be telling jokes like that on the show. (laughs) Quite good, though. Made me giggle. Okay, thank you very much, Marcus, I think. Um, I apologise to our... Younger audience, and the Catholic. Well, it's not necessarily Catholic, is it? Well, nuns are, aren't they? Are they? Do you get nuns? I should don't ask me. It's the kind of thing I should know, isn't it? Really? I don't think you get nuns other than Catholic. Anyway, so anyway, thank you for listening. Apologies for our our, um, religious ignorance, (laughs) Um, and I call myself a Christian. Um, Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you again on next week's show. Goodbye. Bye. Hello, world of Boan. It's like being on David Letterman. Boak world! Boak world! Join our forum at Bo-